Blog Talk Radio.
Good morning, everybody. The opening music was by Salve Vocal Group from the CD Native Angels by Salve. This is a great CD, and many has many spiritual songs of Native American instruments and Gregorian chants, and it's unlike anything you ever heard. If you like this kind of music, we would appreciate it if you contact Salve, S-A-V-A-E dot org, or you can find them on Facebook. They also do live shows, and also you can listen to them on YouTube for nothing. And um, Actually, I bought my copy on Amazon, so Sabe, Native Angels. I'm, I'm your host, Reverend Sean McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday is created to provide an open-minded platform that focuses on the tenant. The Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I'm, I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of the Ryrie Study Bible, but you may also wish any, use any Bible you wish, of course. I've had many spiritual experiences, and I have a work-in-progress uh, book called Worth and Worship, and I do read from that once in a while, and I also read from Guidepost, and it's one of my favorite uh, Guidepost editions. And uh, we're just focused on reading the Bible and uh, just being our real selves and carrying the message given to me. The calling number is 619-924-9744. Sacred Sundays are airs every Sunday, 11 a.m. Standard Time. For opening prayer, let's say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Amen. And we pray for the Christians being persecuted worldwide, anybody being persecuted for their faith. Their freedom of worship and lives are in jeopardy. We pray for all those suffering from violence here at home and abroad. We pray for those suffering from domestic violence in their own homes, suffering of many kinds, and freedom from addiction of all kinds. Please, God, send your Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect them, and all your angels watch over everyone. Our prayers go out to all those who suffer in the world, also including the animals that can't speak for themselves. We pray for the end of their suffering, Heavenly Father. Please watch over everybody. We also pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of our policymakers. They have many decisions to make, and they are praying for all the countries for the problems suffering all over the world. Thank you, God. Amen. We ask this in Jesus' name. We ask him to bless us and help us grow in under his care. Everyone and their families are also in our prayers. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Happy birthday to everybody who has a birthday or anniversary today. I wish you a very happy and blessed birthday and a very prosperous year ahead. If you want to celebrate your birthday or, or an anniversary of your friends or family, just let me know. You can contact me at Charlene Simpson McCain on Facebook. Anyway, last week we were actually studying chapter 18. And I'm going to just read you a little summary. And Paul was uh, traveling through Thessalonica, and Paul and Silas visit the place, and immediately upon arrival, they rush to the synagogue to start arguing that Jesus is the Messiah. And as always, they're preaching and arguing with others. Some of the Jews and Gentiles were persuaded, but another group of Jewish naysayers were wrong and angry, and they formed a mob and hunted down Paul and Silas. The naysayers are claiming that Paul and company are preachers against the royal emperor. After all, they are saying Jesus is the king. 
the emperor may not be too thrilled with this. Anyway, Paul and Silas leave town and head for Berea, and the Jews and the Gentiles are way warmer and friendly there, and they enjoy listening to Paul's preaching. Jews from Thessalonica find out that Paul is in Borea, though, and they head out all over to start trouble over there. So they were kind of tracking him at this point. And then Paul went to Athens, and uh, he arrives, and Paul is pretty sad. Actually, my grandfather was born in Athens. But he anyway, he arrives, and it's pretty sad to see the whole city is covered with statues and idols. It's a commandment, everybody. Naturally, he looks... He goes over to the synagogue and starts arguing with everybody about Jesus. Paul is pretty consistent, at least. He moves on to the marketplace and starts to engage with some of the non-Jewish Greeks in the crowd. He gives a sermon that's one part biblical and one part Greek philosophy. Paul tells the citizens of Athens they are obviously very religious. They have all those idols. But God is the one who created the whole world, and she actually be worshipped. Oh, yeah. He also sent Jesus sent a guy, Jesus, will lead the way, a guy that died but was raised from the dead. The Athenians were intrigued and told him they'd like to hear more. And some even became believers because Paul was just a very good speaker. Anyway, so we're going to actually move into chapter 19. So there's a couple uh, places you can find about. If you don't have a Bible handy, go to www.biblia.com. And you can also go to uh, com, so you can find everything um, online that you need to read your Bible. And we want to do this at least once a week as, as we honor our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus. So now, let's read the next chapter. Excuse me a minute. I lost my place here. Okay, hold on a minute. Sorry. I lost my place. Okay, so we're on to chapter 19. So, uh, for let's do the last phrase of uh, 18, so the ending uh, 1828. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scripture that Jesus was the Christ. Here, let's read now, 19. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some different disciples. And let's, let's, do, let's try to focus on this because this is really uh, telling us a lot here. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, And to what then were you baptized? And they said unto John the baptizer. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming after him, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and were prophesying. They were all in all about twelve men. And when he entered the synagogue and continued speaking boldly for three months and reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God, but when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, of capital W, before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. 
This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of, of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place, attempting to name, intending to name over those who had the evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Scurva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to him, I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul, but who are you? That's pretty profound. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Greeks and Jews, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had beliefs kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who were practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up for the price of them and found 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Now after these things were finished, Paul proposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Archaea, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who administered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see in here, not only in Ephesus, but in also all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there a danger that this trade of ours fallen to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this and were filled with rage, they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of Ephesians. The city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord to the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into assembly, the disciples would not let them. Also, some of the Asiarchs, Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know what reason they had come together. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward, and having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted from about, for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesians, what man is there 
after all, who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell upon from heaven. So since these are the undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have thought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real cause for it, and this connection will still be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Wow. Okay, Hoff. Okay, so let's go back and read the notes. Okay, so Ephesians. See the introduction to Ephesians. Okay. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The gift of the Spirit is given at the time of believing. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Though these men had been baptized by John the Baptist, baptism in the name of Christ was in order as a testimony for their new faith for Christ. Synagogue. Again, Paul, on arriving at the city, used the synagogue as a center of witness. School was actually a lecture hall owned by Tyrannius was probably used by him to teach students of rhetoric. He also made it available to traveling philosophers or teachers. In, 10, in 1910, it was an astounding accomplishment that all in Asia Minor should have heard, but not necessarily believed, that the gospel. Undoubtedly accomplished mo- mostly by ordinary believers witnessing as they went about their business throughout the region. Churches in Colossae, Laodicea and Heropolis, and perhaps some of those in Revelation 2 or 3 were established during these two, three years. 9-11, extraordinary miracles. On the other occasions, Paul did not have this power. 13, these exorcists were magicians who could ask cast out demons. The lesson of the story is that to use the name of Jesus effectively in exorcism, one must be totally devoted to him. Contrary to theories of magic at the time, the name by itself does nothing. This misuse, in fact, backfired. 1919. Magical spells written on scrolls, 50,000 pieces of silver. If the silver drachma is meant, the value would have been equivalent to 138 years' pay for a rural worker. 1924. Silver shrines. Small shrines in a niche representing Artemis, Latin Diana, for worshippers to dedicate to the temple. No silver ones have ever been found, only some in terracotta. Bringing no little business, big profits were clearly implied. Now we're up to 1927. The gospel was endangering the businesses of idol makers in order to stir up opposition against Christianity. The craftsmen appealed to the civic pride of Ephesians. They appealed with, with the temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the world a magnificent structure with 127 columns, 60 feet high, standing on an area 425 feet long by 220 foot wide. The theater accommodated 25,000 people. Okay, so they'll read this 1932 39 41 assembly. The people of Ephesus had the right to greet in a legislative assembly 
though this particular gathering was an unlawful one. Wow, so that brings us to chapter 20 as we're working our way through the New Testament. And this this really was great. I learned a lot today. And I really appreciated that. It just shows what was going on and how hard it was and how many years they devoted while walking around and traveling by donkeys. And it's kind of amazing. So now I actually have a story from my little beloved guy post. Let's see. Okay. Every Step She Took. This is by Pat Van Dyke, Canyon Lake, California. Life had been a constant uphill battle for our daughter Mary, but now as I watched her carefully step down a set of bleachers in her high school homecoming football game, I felt nothing but pride. The captain of the football team, Brian Robertson, extended his hand, and Mary reached for it. She had come a long, long way. Mary's struggles began in the July morning 18 years ago. She entered the world at uh, Loma Linda University Medical Center at 10.30 a.m. and was immediately rushed to intensive care. Twenty minutes later, we were visited by our obstetrician and neonatalist. Your daughter is severely handicapped, the doctor said. What's wrong? I'm afraid we can't give you all the details yet, we were told. We'll have to do a complete examination. The examination tests and x-rays revealed that Mary had a number of physical and neurological disorders. She was missing a hip on one side and had a dislocated hip on the other. She had clubbed feet, a faulty valve in her heart, curvature of the spine, hearing loss, a short left femur, and a muscle disorder in jaundice. Why would the Lord allow a child to be born with so many problems? I wanted to know. I asked my husband, Peter. He was a minister and had worked tirelessly for his church. We serve God faithfully. Why would he do this to us? Why not, he asked gently but firmly. What makes you think we are so special this could not happen to us? Next Sunday, while Mary was still in the hospital, Peter chose a passage of the Gospel of John for his sermon. In it, disciples decided why a man was born blind. And before he healed the man, Jesus replied that the works of a God should be manifest in him. John 9, 3. Well, that's so important to me. That was the answer to my question. We could, would pray that the glory of God be manifest in our daughter. The entire congregation prayed for Mary. But as the weeks went by, we thought we were making progress. We were pushed back. Mary developed apnea, a condition that made her stop breathing. The doctor stood by her 24 hours a day and performed mouth-to-mouth resuscitation up to 20 times in an hour. The CAT scan revealed underdeveloped areas of her brain. No one would say if she'd even be able to hold her head up. When she was seven weeks old, Mary was released from the hospital. We drove home with a back seat filled with hospital equipment. What we did not know was that the doctors had agreed that Mary would not live long beyond six months. Mary's struggle to prove them wrong had begun. At the age of two, Mary had been in the operating room 12 times. We often grew, grew, weary, grew weary of the trips to the hospital, but we continued to fight. Mary's sister, Alice, only three years older, helped her accomplish the impossible. When the therapist said Mary would never be able to crawl, Alice taught her how to climb an entire flight of stairs. When we were warned that Mary would not be able to stand, Alice taught her to pull herself up on the side of the sofa. When we were told that two-and-a-half-year-old Mary would never walk, Alice helped her to make her first unaided steps. I can do it by myself, Mary said. No, Alice corrected. 
Jesus is showing you how. One day I lifted Mary in my arms to climb a steep hill. As soon as I set her down, she hurried back to the starting point and climbed up herself. See, she said, Jesus is showing me how to do it myself. At the age of three, Mary was eligible to be placed in a state-funded educational program for the happy handicapped. As we insisted on mainstreaming her, so the, she and we, excuse me, we enrolled her in a private school, and I was also able to find a teaching job, and I was grateful to be close to her every day. The doctors had predicted she would be a slow learner, but at the age of five, she entered the regular kindergarten class. Graduation took place with Mary in full body cast, pulled down the aisle on a red wagon by her best friend in first and second grades. She excelled in all academic subjects, but the physical struggle continued. Unable to do all things, Mary still wanted to take part in every activity her friends did. The simple news of a school roller skating party brought tears. The dream of someday becoming a cheerleader only resulted in frustration. I watched the pain across her face each time classmates stared at her or forgot to watch the pain in her face each time classmates forgot to hold the door open for her. At playtime, Mary was always the last chosen for the game, but she played with fiery determination. Her teenage years came quickly. I remember one night when we arrived at the neighbor's pool for Mary's swimming therapy. Mary heard the sounds of a party from the adjoining house, the home of one of her friends. Why wasn't I invited, she asked. I had no answer. When I was offered a teaching position at another school, we decided that Mary would change schools. It meant having to battle with stares and questions and comments a new set of students, but she was ready for this fight. That September, Mary became a 10th grader at the Riverside Christian High School. The students were all unusually inquisitive, but they were also understanding. What happened to her, they asked. Have you always been this way? Will you give or get better? They soon came to admire her independence and humor. When she went swimming, they noticed the scars on her legs from all her operations. What happened to your legs, one girl asked Mary. An alligator bit me, she replied, and other students laughed. Special allowances were made to give her enough time to get to her classes. Teachers made a policy to speak of her handicaps only when she was present. The other students planned activities when Mary would take part. Her height of four feet eight was accepted. The five-inch buildup on her left shoe was viewed by just Mary's shoe. Whenever she fell, which happened frequently, a student was at hand to help her stand and continue on her way. Even though there's no separation between her thumbs and index fingers, Mary won an award for the best typist. In her senior year, she was editor of the yearbook, secretary of the student body, a member of the honor society, and ranked third in her class. Some of her handicaps will never be corrected, but we continue to be awed by her faith and determination. Though Mary, through Mary, we learned more about God's grace than we ever thought possible. Her father, sister, and I were not the only ones touched by this extraordinary child. Her indomitable spirit inspired our community. Our church has grown dramatically, and as the members have watched Mary overcome many of her handicaps and adapt to others, their faith has grown. God's good works have been made manifest. Mary strained to reach Brian's out with stretched hand. He helped lift her billowing dress as her hair blew in the wind. The two walked to the center of the football field, and the crowd cheered. The words came over the loudspeakers. Presenting our 1994 homecoming queen, Mary Van Dyke, the crowd roared, and the tears rolled down my cheeks. The crown was placed on Mary's head. Brian lifted her to his arms and carried her off the field. 
this is touching me so much because I was on Facebook recently and um, who I now consider an ex-friend uh, posted that a mother who had a Down syndrome son who was 47 years old at this time, she said, the mother said that she wished she had had an abortion and never had him that he had been struggling his whole life. And then you see the picture of the mother with the son, and he looks happy with it. He doesn't look like he has a problem, and he's just accepted, and looks like he's even excelling. So when my friend posted it, she said she agreed with the mother and would have gotten an abortion before he was born, so he didn't have a chance to live. I confronted her, and I told her, everyone has the right to live. He wants to live. You don't have any right to take a life just because they're different than ours. So I appreciate, by coincidence, I didn't know I was going to be reading that today, that we have to love, let the person live, encourage, support them. If they're struggling, if they're handicapped, look at them with love and hold your hands up to them and help them get up once they've fallen down. That's the message of all is love. Everyone deserves to live. And I want to thank you very much for listening this morning. And please come back next week with um, Ask Your Friends, because we love you very much, and Ask Your Family, as you can listen together. And I appreciate you so much. And the people listen live and listen in archives, you mean really so much to me. And I know how much Jesus and God love you, love you, love you. That's all I can say. Don't forget that. In closing, let's say together, after a moment of silent meditation, for those who are out there still suffering. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I want to thank you for joining Sacred Sunday. Please come back again next week and bring your friends. In closing, may God bless and keep you in his loving arms that you may have the strength to face whatever is ahead. Just remember you're never alone. God loves you so much. And may your best dream come true and true love live in your heart. Be sure to message me if you have any concerns or requests for prayer or want to discuss something. Bye, my friends. Love you very much. God bless.